this is The Other 51. I'm Brian, and this week, my guest is Dr. Katherine Perlman, author of the new book, First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. My guest this week is a social worker and an author of two books, most recently, the very excellent book, First Book, First first phone a child's guide to digital responsibility safety and etiquette i was very excited to read it because i realized that i'm already doing all the things that she advocates or most of them so thumbs up to me uh dr Catherine perlman welcome to the other 51 thanks thanks for having me so uh first of all congratulations on book number two um very cool to have that out how's it how's the reception been and what's it been like having this book out in the world now Actually, it's out in a month from now. So you got oh, an okay. early, early copy. Gotcha. Um, I'm just getting a little bit of feedback from like early readers and it's been great. I mean, everything I'm hearing is thank you. We need this. So, <laughs> um, you know, I'm hoping it's helpful. Right. So, uh, so where did the idea for the book come from? And, and I, I, the idea is great. It's a guide for teenagers, teens and parent, tweens and parents as they kind of navigate cell phone, you know, when to get a cell phone, how to use a cell phone and all of that. But uh, but where did the, the this I'm going to write a book about this for you? How did that come about? So a couple of things happen at once. Um, one is I've noticed that even like conscientious parents are struggling about managing their kids access to information. Um, because even if in your household you have rules and they don't have cell phones and they don't have iPads and you have protections in place, they're on the bus with some kid who's got a phone, who's the fourth kid, and they're not watching anything. And, you know, your kid is Googling whatever they want on that phone. Um, kids are signing up for social media without their parents even knowing. So I started noticing this happening. And then the pandemic happened where kids who we carefully manage their screen time are now mandated for school to be on their computers. And even though they're back in the classrooms, many of them are still doing half of their work on the computer. Right. Um, and then for socializing, they're on the computers and um, in apps and all of that. Um, so kids were basically on their computers all day, every day. And I just felt like there is no way for a parent to be able to protect those kids. And we need to have kids protect themselves. We need to give them the information to make smart and careful choices for themselves. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they need a book for themselves so they can learn. Um, and that also helps the parents so that they don't have to feel this pressure of, I have no idea even where to start. Right. It's funny, you know, I hear this around academia, I hear this around the classroom, I hear this at school board meetings, and it's very much a... A, a, a tough nut to crack the whole phones for kids thing, because, you know, like you said, especially in the pandemic, you know, our daughter used her phone for socializing like that was an, an important part of it. And so balancing that is so tricky. So I think this is a, this is a very useful book, I think, oh, for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, so I hope so. <laughs> what is so let, let's go back a little bit. So you've written two books, you've written articles and blog posts everywhere. Um, and you're also a social worker. So how did you kind of come to this kind of dual career of writer slash social worker? So about 15 years ago, I decided I wanted to start a private practice where I went into people's homes and helped them with parenting issues. And I took an ad out in the local paper. It was, you know, the size of a business card. And it was like $250 for a week. And I was thinking to myself, like, that is not sustainable. Like, I cannot pay for that. Meanwhile, I'm looking through the paper and there are all these people writing articles and I'm thinking, well, I could write parenting articles mm -hmm. and then get the advertising for free. At the end, they say, you know, Catherine Perlman, 
family coach, whatever. Um, so I started writing. And um, as you know, my husband is a journalist. So I live basically with my writing coach. And <laughs> I just started writing like um, dear family coach columns and, you know, just parenting columns in general at a very hyper local level and worked on that for a bunch of years. And then little by little, I was broadening where I was writing, what I was writing about. Uh, for years, I fantasized about having a syndicated column and I pitched and pitched and pitched and I finally did get a syndicated column for a couple of years. And while that was only in maybe five or six papers around the country, it forced me to write two columns every single week for three years. Oh, wow. And that alone just really taught me so much about writing, how to get it done quickly, um, efficiently, and to find my voice as a writer, basically. Mm -hmm. So now I used to send everything through my husband, like read this before I put it out. You know, I just, I'm not sure. I didn't even know about like where I should do commas. I just didn't know what a lead was. I mean, I just really had to learn everything. And now I, he's like, you don't send me anything anymore. And I'm like, I'm good. You know, <laughs> I, I can do this now. <laughs> um, and so the first book kind of came out of all of my work in homes with clients. Like that was just basically everything I was telling them for the first, you know, couple of meetings I was meeting with them, I put in the book. Um, and then, you know, the second book kind of grew out of that. Okay. Uh, so that, that two column, that syndication, the, the, the multiple columns in a week, looking back on that, what are, what are some of the biggest lessons you learned about writing that you carry with you today from that experience? Cause that is for people who have not done that, that is not an easy thing to crank, to, to be cranking out that type of stuff on the regular. Yeah. I mean, it felt like I would blink and I would be the next week again. I was like, you know, you think you have five days to go. And it was like, oh my gosh, I have to write my column again already. Um, you know, for me, it was really about efficiency. Um, in the beginning, those columns would take all day. Uh, and then I would push it off and push it off. And then I was like, no, I really need to write my column. And it also, those were 600 word columns and they were two dear family coach questions. So there were okay. two parenting questions. So I had 250 words maybe for each question. And, you know, I'm, I want to give actual advice that's going to help parents. So it really taught me about using the right words, you know, picking my points very carefully. I'm a very practical writer in general, so mm -hmm. I'm not very flowery. So it was my kind of writing, but I really learned to um, think about every word very carefully. But it was very funny because then when I wrote my first book, they're like, you need to do 60,000 words. I'm thinking, <laughs> that's not possible. I only write 600 at a time. Like, so I was even counting, like, my acknowledgments are very long, you know, like, I was like, how am I going to get to 60,000? Um, and it's funny, in the end, it ended up being so freeing and wonderful to be able to, like, tell a story, expand right. on a point. You know, I ended up really liking it, but in the beginning, I was very frightened. It was I, a very I, different kind of writing. I was going to ask you about that different type of writing because, yeah, 600 word column, especially the way you have it, it's like you're in, you're out, boom, make your point, and you're gone. And then a book, it kind of has to be that that longer. So it sounds like it was an adjustment. How did you kind of work through that uh, that that shift from quick to expansive? I think knowing that I needed to fill a book of words, um, it kind of allowed me to go off the rails a little bit. And you could always cut back later, but just, oh, I have a good story that would point this out really well. Or I could define a point here, or I could bring in a little research here. Like I felt like I had fun ways of bulking it up that felt 
um, like a relief in a way to kind of put that all in there. So I found various ways of um, doing it and it was all really to show a point for whatever it was I was saying. So maybe I said the point quickly, but now I need to expand on the point and show readers exactly how you could implement this point and how it's supported by research and, and that kind of thing. So um, in the end, it ended up being great. And also I thought of the book as chapters. You know, I mm -hmm. I didn't think of a whole book and thinking, okay, how am I gonna do this? I, I really thought of, I had an outline, today I'm working on this chapter and, um, you know, just kind of broke things down into smaller pieces. And that book is Ignore It. I'll uh, link to that in our in show notes for this episode too. And I, that was a great book. And I love that. It, it seems like your books are well-timed to my own daughter's life, totally <laughs> luckily, um, because she was a you know more toddler age when Ignore It came out. And now she's a tween with this new book. And thinking on this new book, it's written both for kids and for, there's a section in the back for adults, but it's mostly for, you know, teenagers and, and, and kids was the right. How was that to write for that different audience? Was it how much, how mindful did you have to be? And how did you kind of shift the writing for that? So I love kids in my work. I've been working with kids for 25 years. So I feel like I speak the language to kids in general, in real life. Um, so I think in, in a sense, that was pretty easy. I also think because I'm not a journalist and I'm not trained as a writer per se, um, I have a very practical, simple way of writing. I'm not, you know, a novelist or, um, you know, writing memoirs or anything like that. So for me, making that shift, actually, I found my sweet spot. I was like, okay. actually, this is a great kind of writing for me um, because I felt like I could speak to the kids. And in the book, I have five composite kids that, you know, represent real kids I know. And um, I tried to speak in their voice so that it would work for kids. And I've gotten a lot of feedback that that was like, the voices felt very authentic to kids. So I feel like in a way I stumbled upon something that's like maybe the most natural kind of writing for me. I wanted to ask you about that, the the, the five kids. So it's kind of like composites and you introduce them right at the beginning of the book. And it, it, it's very interesting because the, they all have like the, the different needs for a phone or different things that they use their phone for. And I'm just wondering, where did that idea for that, uh, for lack of a better word, that device that you're using throughout the book, where did that idea come from? So I was thinking kids don't want to hear from parents, you know, mm -hmm. and I might be great at talking to kids, but again, I'm still an adult and I really wanted kids to speak to kids. Um, so, but I also needed to be an authority and be able to give the points as an adult, but then have kids reinforce them. And so that's kind of where it came from in order to help kids hear the points of view. It's like one thing for an adult or a parent to say, you know, don't jump in the pool with your phone. It's another for a kid to say, no, seriously, check your pockets. Cause I've done it twice, which has actually <laughs> happened to my nephew and my son, two people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so how did you go about um, uh, kind of creating these composites? Like how did, how did they, so this, it's great as an idea. So in, in practice, what did you do to kind of, kind of create these composites and kind of build that, that part of the book? So I started with actual kids. I know just temperament, personality, likes, dislikes, that sort of thing. Not necessarily their real life problems or their family situation, just sort of in my head an idea of a kid that just kind of kept them authentic throughout. And then it was really important for me to, for kids to be able to read this book and find commonalities in their real life, whether it's their family situation, whether it's their health, um, whether it's their social situation, uh, ethnicity. I really 
wanted to tick off many, many boxes. So once I kind of had an idea of who these kids were personality wise, I, then I tried to diversify them in every way possible so that kids could say, oh yeah, my parents are divorced or, oh yes, I'm dyslexic or yeah, you know, and could relate to these kids on some level. And when you, when, when you talk to kids for, you know, research for this book or kind of in, in your work and, and in doing this book, how do they feel about phones? What do they feel about it? Because I know that it's very easy as parents to be like, blah, blah, blah. We used to go outside in the summer and now they're just on their phones and TikTok and, you know, be the old people on the lawn. What do you, how are kids, how are kids feeling about phones? Like, what are you finding from them? I mean, this is their reality. I mean, the truth is that um, even be, long before kids get phones, they're on their iPads. I mean, mm -hmm. most one-year-olds have held an iPad or a phone in their hands to watch a show, to tap on a game, to scribble some art. So it's not like, you know, they get the phone and it's all of a sudden like this big transition. They've been exposed. This is their everyday normal life. So, I mean, I think they're wanting parents to kind of realize they can be responsible and that they can make good choices and that this isn't like a big thing for them to get a phone. They've already had the access. They're already right. texting their friends on Discord on their computers for school. I mean, they're just, they're already doing the things. I think for a while there was a big push for kids to wait to get a phone until they were in eighth grade or until they were 13. And the most kids are getting between eight and 11, truthfully, mm -hmm. at this point. And I actually think that's a good idea because that's okay. a great age for parents to still have a very good hands in the learning um, and the continued education. By the time they're 13, 14, you're really out of their intimate daily life. They're just not sharing stuff the way they would. They don't want you in their phones. Whereas a, a 10, 11 year old doesn't care if you're in their phone. You know, they're like, oh, I shouldn't have sent that text. Okay, that's a good good tip, mom, you know, dad, but <laughs> yeah. you know, 14 year old is like, get off my phone. So I actually think that kids are wanting them earlier because that's what all their friends have. And that's the way they communicate. And when you don't have a phone, it's almost like, I remember we didn't give my son a video game system because that's just not, we didn't want him in front of it all the time, but all his friends were doing it. And that's all they talked about. Right. He was sort of on the outs about it. And so kids yeah. that are, you know, their parents are waiting, that's sort of a social stigma. So I think that they're they're ready for their phones and they're ready for their parents to sort of get on board. And I think parents should get them a little bit earlier so they can work on, you know, teaching them and, and instructing. Yeah. That, that's one of the things I really appreciate about all of your writing, but especially I, I, I found it in this book is it's real worldedness in a way, like in a way that like they're going to have phones, like they're going to be on social media and, and, and I agree, like a lot of it is their friends are there so that you don't want their kids are going to be let you don't want your a kid left out and not in a just left out. They don't have the fancy thing, but they can't talk to their kids. They have nothing yeah. in common or, or, or kind of that those common experiences. And so I, I do like the, you know, the way you write it is very useful for me because and I think for a lot of people because it kind of acknowledges look, it's not a don't get them a phone. It, this is a great teaching opportunity or this is how they, they, they do it. And they're I'm one of my arguments is always I'm going on here. I'm sorry. But it's like they're going to use a phone in their life. Like this is not something that's go away. So that's it's about teaching the responsibility and how to use it and ways to do it. And in a way that's kind of acknowledges it rather than like this wannabe world where there are no phones or kids aren't doing it. Yeah, I agree. 
so what what was the the kind of overall research and writing process like for this book you know both in terms of the work you did and how you wrote it like what was it a was it like a, a sit down and crank it out mode does it over a number of years how did the what was that process like no i was literally in the heart of the early pandemic when we were all stuck at home and I had been watching, uh, I'm a, I, a professor, so I have the summers off. So, you know, it was in the summer and I'm watching like a lot of television. And I'm just like laying around feeling sorry for myself and just starting to feel like I need to do something. I need to work. And this idea had been brewing um, about um, kids and their technology and their phones. Um, and so I just said, you know, well, let me just see what's out there for kids. And there was one book and it's for girls. It's by American Girl. And it's not a bad book, but it's just for girls. And it's all over the place and less instructive. Um, and I really said that this doesn't exist. So I did a little research on, you know, sort of the market, what's out there, what exists. Um, and then I got to working on a proposal. And for me, a book proposal is really important. Like that's not just so I can get a book deal, but it really, is this a book? Do I have enough content? What's going to go in there? How, who's the market does, you know, does it exist? Like, so all the things that go into the proposal um, were really important. So I had nowhere to go and nothing to do. And so <laughs> um, I sat at home and, um, you know, really put my head down. I was set just at the first goal is just to do the proposal and then in the proposal, write to, to write two chapters. Okay. So I had to figure out the kids. I had to get all of that going. Um, and think through a lot of things. Um, and then I was lucky enough to get the book deal still during the pandemic and then wrote the book, uh, same thing during the pandemic at home. And, um, you know, I, I write at night, uh, okay. I dilly dally all day and then, you know, sit down when it's quiet to write at night. And that really works for me. And luckily the kids are teenagers. They can wake up in the morning, feed themselves and get themselves to school and whatever. So that was sort of the the routine, uh, and just kind of wrote it chapter by chapter. Oh, what, what's in that? You said, yeah, the chapter, a couple sample chapters. What else is in that book proposal? So, uh, who am I? So who am I to tell the story and why am I the right person? And what are my credentials and qualifications? Uh, what are the competing books? Uh, so they like to see that there are some books that are similar. So it looks like there's a market, but nothing that's exactly right. So that your book is still important. So I did a little bit of that. How am I going to sell the book? So, you know, the publisher is going to do some PR, but it's really going to be on you to get this book out and to publicize it. So what am I going to do? What are my connections? Where have I been and all of that? Um, and then it is um, an outline, you know, chapter for chapter. So it's like, what's the title of the chapter? And then a paragraph on what would be in the chapter. Mm -hmm. um, and that takes a lot of hard thinking. You know, that's where you really you know, people don't want to do the proposal, but to me, that's so vital. Then when you actually get to writing the book, you've already done so much work that you're, you're really ready to go. Um, so that's the majority of what's, what's in the proposal. And I share my proposal with anybody who's looking to write a book. I always share it. There's no like trade secrets. I figure I learned it. You know, I, I share it with anybody who's interested. Right. How important, and, and along with just making it easy how important or how was it a challenge to kind of crack that structure of the book the the kind of chapter by chapter did it come naturally as you kind of research it how did that all work out yeah i mean i i keep a lot of notes so um maybe i see a news article about something like uh, in the book i mentioned this woman who was in the gym and she took a picture of a heavy woman naked in the gym and she said you know if i have to see 
see this, you have to see. And she reposted the picture. And I was like, yes, this is something that kids need to think about. They don't think about sexting in terms of having naked pictures of, of young underage children on their phone. Like that is actually illegal. So right. I just kind of made a note of that. And so I usually have, um, I use notes on my computer for everything and it's also on my phone. So I kind of just keep throwing things in there and I'm like, okay, that's actually a chapter. Um, you know, this is a really important point. This I need. I knew self-care was really important um, because there's so much research out now about how our phones are affecting our kids' mental health. And so yeah. that was really important, um, especially being a social worker that was in there. So there were some things that were like 100% in there. And then other things as I was writing, I was like, you know, it would be really helpful to do this other thing. And I hadn't really worked out in the beginning either how I was going to speak to parents so in the beginning, I had um, a section at the end of every chapter and my editor said, you know, I really just want the book to be for kids. Maybe we'll put that all at the end. And that actually worked out better, uh, I thought. So, you know, some things you kind of fix on the fly and um, a lot of things kind of fell into place as I would do research and just kind of chuck something in a box and then go back to it. Yeah, I love the uh, the little note in the beginning of the parent section. It's like, okay, kids, now physically hand this book to you. Time to physically hand this book to your parents. I love that acknowledgement of it. Yeah. So did anything, this, this is such a cliche question to ask a, a, a book author, but I, but, I, but I do love it. So I apologize for that. But is there anything that you were finding as you were talking to the kids, as you were writing the book that kind of surprised you? Um, I think it's really more uh, parents. Okay. That um, surprised me because I think um, I didn't realize how many parents want this book, like okay. wish they had it when their kids were younger, are desperate for help in managing their kids tech. Because I mean, truthfully, our kids are just so way ahead of us. So like, there's just no way we know how to do all the things like I'm 50 and already my kids are like, mom, give me the remote. And it's like, I'm actually good at this stuff, you know, but they're better. Um, you know, they know apps, they know how to do settings. They know how to do all these things. And I think parents feel out of their depth. So I think in a way it was the parents that surprised me when I would speak to them. And then I, I always ask parents, you know, did anything ever happen with your kids? Any, you know, did they get caught on porn? Did you realize they were seeing something on YouTube? Had they signed up for a social media? And it was always, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Fill in the blank, whatever the problem was. But this is a universal problem. And I, I think I hadn't realized that it was so significant. So how did you how do you balance out in this book? And you did a wonderful job of it, I thought. But how do you how did you balance out as you're thinking about it? Writing a book about, you know, using phones, using all this technology, but not making it sound so dated that like in two years, somebody, you know, the MySpace problem, right? Where somebody looks at this and being like, this is useless now because da, 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 da. So how did you kind of balance the specifics of what kids are doing with kind of those more bigger universal themes? I have to say, I am a little bit worried about that. Um, and then the book is also being translated into other languages. And I'm thinking like, how does that play out? <laughs> like, you know, does that, does this all make sense in another language? Um, so I am a little concerned about that, but I did overall try to come up with concepts. So like the concept of social media, it doesn't yes. really matter which social media you're on. This is what a social media is. They all have commenting, liking and sharing. Um, and whether it's pictures, videos, voice, it, it, it's something new will come. So I tried to work more in concepts, um, but I'm sure I will look back in five years and like cringe at some of the references um, 
and also, you know, like I talk about athletes or whatever. And also my kids would be like, nobody knows who you're talking about. And I'd be like, okay, give me a somebody you follow, you know, or who's hot right now. So I think some things will be outdated, but I do hope that for the most part, like a scam is always going to come up. Like the scam may look differently, but the idea that we have to be mindful of scams, that's always going to be a thing. And how we make our passwords is always going to be a thing. Right. Um, and it was just opening up for a second edition or an updated edition. Of the book. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, what is, I don't want to say the prime takeaway because people should read the whole book and there are a lot of them, but, but what are some of the, like the key things that you want kids and parents to kind of come away from this book feeling about the relationship that kids have with their phones? Uh, so I think number one is like, this isn't like you get this book and you've learned everything and you're good to go. Like digital education is a lifetime for all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, the new things come out, new scams come out, new uh, updates happen, and we all have to continually learn. And so I hope that kids and parents sort of take that away and foster that kind of communication among themselves. Um, I really hope the idea of kindness in a digital world comes through because I think you know, I tried to teach kids to have their first instinct be, hold on a second, let me just see if I could have reread that or if I could say this in another way, because I think, you know, it's just so easy to mindlessly be behind a screen and behind a screen name even and type something nasty and not realize that there's someone on the other end. We've all had that um, who's getting their feelings hurt. So I think um, that um, to be kind to each other um, and to, you know, continue for a lifetime. And also you will make mistakes. I had a whole chapter on this and this is really important to like hone in on because we all make mistakes. And I try and tell parents, like, imagine you're at work and you make a mistake as people do. And your boss is like berating you at the team meeting and sends an email out to the company and takes away your privileges, you know, like all these things. It, it's horrifying, but it's part of life. And so I think if we um, get a little nutsy with our kids when they make a mistake, then they stop telling us stuff. Right. And I really want parents to continue with open communication. So you really got to not freak out parents and you have to just <laughs> say, okay, that happens. Now, what can we do? How do we fix it? How do we learn from it and, mm -hmm. and not be punitive? So I think the biggest thing I took away was the sleep part and not having phones in the room. Why is that so important for you? Oh my gosh. This is like my number one rule. Um, Basically, what we know, the research is still sort of coming out about how Im phones are impacting our lives. But what we know for sure for teenagers is that they're not getting enough sleep. And so many of them are sleeping with their phones. It depends on the research study, but it's like somewhere between like 60 and 80% of kids sleep with their phones in the room and like 30% of them with their phones on their pillows. So what happens all night long, their sleep is interrupted. They're getting notifications. They're texting at one, two, three in the morning. I always say, I promise nothing good is happening at three in the morning <laughs> with your your kid on their phone and they're not sleeping. So the side effect of not getting enough sleep is anxiety, depression, uh, less uh, attentiveness, lower memory, you know, worse grades in school, low, lower coping. You know, we know the side effects of teens not getting enough sleep. And also we know that the more time, more hours, people spend on screens, no matter what they're doing, the more depression and anxiety that they have. So all of those things combined, it's like kids really need this social break. They need to have a uninterrupted sleep uh, and they need to just have a break from, you know, whatever's happening in the middle of the night on their phone. So that is like a number one rule. And parents are always like, oh, I could never do that. 
And I'm like, if it's a non-negotiable, your kids will fight you for a couple of days and then that's it. They actually kind of like it because they get a break. Right. So I ask everybody I've had, on, I have on the podcast this, so I'll ask you, what's the best thing you've read lately? Oh, the best thing I read lately. I'm like looking over on my, um, on my, uh, table. Oh, well I can, this wasn't super lately, but, um, the book by, um, Patrick Radden O'Keefe about, um, the opioid addiction and the Sackler family. Okay. Oh yeah. Obsessed. Obsessed with that book. Um, I talked about it with everybody I know, um, because I just don't think we understand how we got here. Um, and, uh, so I loved that. Yeah. And the other book I will say is Hidden Valley Road about, um, a family where I think they had 12 kids and six of them are schizophrenic. Oh, really? Um, and it's fascinating and it was so well done. Is it a, a nonfiction? Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Cool. Well, I'll have links to that in, in the show notes to those in show notes. I'll have a link to your book so people can pick it up. Uh, when is it out officially? July 26th. July 26th. So July 26th, yeah. you can uh, just about a month from now as this comes out. So you'll be able to pick it up then. And uh, looking forward to the second edition when you update it with the new social media and <laughs> all the other good stuff. But Catherine, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to The Other 51. Show notes for this and all of our episodes can be found at sportsmediaguide.com by clicking on The Other 51 tab. If you like the show, please consider giving it a rating and a review, either at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people find the show. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz.